Hi, welcome to Cinema Scene on WGWG.org and also C19 TV. We appreciate you hanging out, spending some time with us talking movies. I'm uh, really excited today to uh, be interviewing uh, Aaron Lieber. Aaron is the uh, director of Unstoppable, which is a Bethany Hamilton story. Uh, man, let me just let me start off by saying what an amazing work of art. The uh, cinematography and the uh, the soundtrack, the score right away caught my attention before I got in any deeper. So kudos to you on that. And man, just, just a beautiful, beautiful work of art. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been so fun to get to work with a, such a talented surfer uh, like Bethany Hamilton, who also has such an incredible story. And yeah, I'm really excited to in theaters and give you know, young women an opportunity to see themselves on the big screen. Well, Aaron, you have had this uh, love of uh, of surfing for quite a while. Yeah, well, actually, so I'm 33, so um, okay, okay. I started I started as an intern at Transworld Surf Magazine when I was 19. Okay. So from intern to filmmaker, I guess you know after. Um, yeah, it's like about 14 years now. Yeah, wow. And, and <laughs> yeah, no, you know, no, I never took a film class. Never, I didn't go to film school. So kind of just, I feel like the last 10 years has been um, just learning the craft and getting better and better until I kind of got to this point where I had Bethany's story and an opportunity to, to work with her and really wanted to kind of, what I would say, almost like get my master's degree in filmmaking and kind of put out something that was that was worth watching. Oh, absolutely. Well, the film Unstoppable, uh, you opened this at Tribeca, if I'm correct on that, and uh, your your debut weekend, uh, you know, number 25 at the box office, uh, not bad for a documentary, that's for sure. Uh, was I right on uh, Tribeca was where you had your kind of debut for this film? Yeah, we uh, yeah we, tr- we, we premiered um, April 20th, 2018 at Tribeca. It's so cool to, like, be at the, like, kind of the big stage, you know? New York is such an iconic place, and, you know, Tribeca and all the other amazing filmmakers that were premiering their films, and you know, getting to meet the other filmmakers and see other films. And yeah, I mean, I, I always just um, dreamed about making surf films. And so to kind of move into this place where it's like a, you know, film up against all these other big films, that was a pretty incredible moment and feeling. What, what was that uh, experience like for you with the audience reaction? At the end of the day, that's what you make a film for, right? Like, obviously it's really nice to get into these festivals, but like when an audience connects with your film, that's like the best feeling. And yeah, after these, these screen, after it screens, you know, I've got moms coming up and giving me a big hug and thanking <laughs> me for making the movie. Yeah. So it's just like the, the, you know, and then I just saw a Rotten Tomato uh, review where it was, where someone wrote, uh, have you ever seen a 53 year old man emotionally wrecked during a movie? And then it was like an emoji of a hand raised because she had like some, <laughs> You know, so the, yeah. the scale of like reaching young women and, and, and young people, boys, you know, male or female, all the way to, you know, teenagers, adults, like the full spectrum of, of people's feedback and how much they love the film has been amazing. But let's talk a little bit about your love for surfing uh, first, and then we'll dive into a little bit more about, about the making of the story. So where did you develop this love for surfing? surfing? You've done quite a few surfing documentaries and surfing pieces. So, so back up and, and give me some background on that. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I grew up in a little town called Fallbrook, but my dad was, you know, had, had grown up in the sixties surfing um, and, you know, sneaking into lower trestles and 
you know, so I grew up watching Endless Summer with him and, yeah. and going surfing with him. So I started off just kind of this inland kid that, that loved surfing with his dad. And, and then I got a camera when I was in, you know, um, junior high, high school and started making like skate videos and, and English paper. Instead of writing an English paper, they would let me make a video. It was really yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. So, so I was just, yeah, so I was just this kid trying to like, you know, just having fun and, and then I got to college and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I really loved, you know, shooting action sports and being outside. And so I got an internship and, and just kept plugging away at this idea of being, you know, maybe trying to be a, a surf filmmaker. And, you know, one, you know, the internship, internship led to um, getting, you know, meeting professional surfers and getting invited to go on surf trips, which eventually led to my first film called The Pursuit in 2008 which led to like getting a job with Nike where I made an all women's film called leave a message. Um, and then which led to another film, Lakey Peterson, zero to hundred that was on Netflix and it was number one iTunes sports. And then which led to like Bethany's film. So it's been this journey of like just following my passions and what I, what I was, what I was excited to do every day. And, and yeah, one thing kind of just kept leading to the next. Well, you know, one of the things you meant, you've mentioned a few times is uh, pieces relating to the power of the woman. Talk about that and why that has been important for you. Is it something that was intentional or is it something that was organic and just kind of happened? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's totally it's a mix of both. You can't force something like that. It is organic. Like the film is who Bethany is. It's all real. Um, but it also was very intentional. I think you know, I just got off the phone with a Girl Scout leader, and she was talking about how when Hunger Games came out, there was zero girls before that movie signing up for archery. And then, and then after that film, and since then, it's been full of girls every year. So you, the power of film and seeing uh, and young girls seeing themselves on a big screen is very evident. And so I really wanted to you know, have a female protagonist like Bethany have this opportunity to be on the big screen and really make a huge impact for young girls. I mean, if you think about the documentary space, there are very few female documentaries that get into theaters. Right. Most recently, RBG was the most recent one that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, but I think it's so important, you know, like every year I would say, you know, let's, let's say 20 documentaries get go to theaters or so. And, less than one is a, has a female lead. Right, right. So it's super important. It's super important. And, you know, it's, it's um, a little bit frustrating at times trying to, you know, the powers that be in this world, whether it's media or studios, kind of going, going up against everybody, convincing them that this is a worthwhile story to talk about and share. And because, you know, that, you know, it's every, the lowest common denominator is still male dominated films. And it's not to, to throw any of those, or talk badly about any of those. It's just trying to, you know, the idea right now, equal pay, right? So right. it's, we're kind of in that space where this is, this film isn't meant to be political, but it is, you know, in the sense that the space we're in, it, it should, it deserves the attention that all these other like free solo type films yeah. deserve, that have gotten. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned free solo. I was going to say that we are in this new age of documentary that is expanding beyond the scope of what we had even five years ago. I mean, you think about Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, you know, the powerful impact that that had last year, Free Solo, RGB. What is it about documentary that you feel is, is really speaking to audiences now and much broader audiences 
than we used to have before. What is it that's making that happen? I think the two main things that have made that happen is the or, or actually three main things that I think are making it happen. First and foremost, all the films you named are all positive, uplifting films. So I think that's the first very important key. I think historically documentaries tend to be dark and 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 like are are used to kind of create awareness about a problem. Gotcha. You know, like a black like a blackfish or something like which obviously is very important and we need those. But the films that have done well in the box office tend to be positive, uplifting films, first and foremost. Then the next part is filmmakers are really starting to follow a three-act structure right. and putting a, film, a, putting a film together in a way that plays just like any motion picture would play, right, with actors. And then the third component is the cinematography and the sound design and yeah. the color correction and all the layers that, that make it look and feel amazing those are all being really looked after at a high level. Like I saw Free Solo won all these uh, awards for sound design. And, you know, they, they went the extra mile yeah. to make sure that film was looked and felt the way that it did. And like, I'm so like stoked for them and all the success that they've had because, they, you know, because it takes that extra effort in order to make the film um, feel as good as it can. Yeah, and that's something that I think you paid close attention to as well. Uh, you know, you talk and the editing on the, in this piece really, really blew me away uh, as I was watching Unstoppable and the narrative flow. It really worked. I mean, all those things you were talking about were clicking on this and all of the archive footage. Uh, I always get amazed when I'm watching documentaries and I'm seeing just tons and tons and tons of footage. And my background is I've done some documentary work as well. So I know the amount of work behind the scenes it takes to pull that puzzle together into something that's cohesive and to something that makes sense not only to you, but makes sense to those that will, will embrace it. And, uh, man, you've done just an amazing job with Unstoppable. And I'd love to hear your story about making this, kind of the development of this and that process, that multi-year journey of making this happen and some of the unexpected transitions that happened along the way. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I want to just acknowledge my lead editor, Carol Martori, and my two amazing producers, Penny Edmondson and Jane Kelly Kosek. So this film was made by three powerful women, uh, as well as me. And so having those women be involved was super key in making sure the female perspective was there. And But to backtrack, the film originally started being a short six-minute performance film where I was just going to show Bethany's athletic ability, just like a lot of other surfers do, right? They'll make these short pieces and put them out on YouTube. The film transitioned into becoming what it is now, basically when Bethany got unexpectedly pregnant, which you see in the film. And she took some time to think about it and decided to let me follow her life a bit longer. And so by myself, I was shooting, producing and directing. Um, I had no team, not, no, no real budget wow. other than we just, we had just finished a Kickstarter. So Bethany's fans supported this idea. And so then I started following Bethany's pregnancy and her journey to become a mother. And, and as that happened, um, you know, I had no idea how long or what it was going to take to make this film, but I was, I saw the potential. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. And four and a half years later, wow. I, uh, yeah, four and a half years later, I real I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting on all this amazing footage and I don't feel equipped 
to go to post-production by myself like I had in my other films. And so I started the process of reaching out to production companies and raising more money and just figuring out how I was going to make this film be what it ended up being. And what I came to find out having all these meetings is that I really needed, this was back in 2000, September of 2016, I realized that I just needed female voices and with female, with a ton of experience in narrative. And so um, after meeting with a bunch of production companies that were pretty male dominated, I mean, they actually were hundred percent male dominated. I built my own team with Carol, Penny and Jane and um, my assistant editor, Dan and I, we, we then built um, a four hour timeline of a bunch of rough ideas. Right. And then Carol, Carol came in, her and I sat down with three by five cards mapped out like a tentative idea for a three act structure. Yeah. And then, and then we grabbed all the transcript trans transcriptions of the interviews wow. and Carol started, Carol started building a paper cut and we just, and then, and then she looked at our, our, our rough edits. And then we just really started the process of taking that four hour cut and we, we got it down to two hours. And then at that two hour mark, we read digital cinema has been a, a supporter of mine. So they let me use their, uh, their movie theater up in Hollywood. So we were able to do a screening in a real movie theater with editors and producers and get real feedback, which is so important in the process. Yeah. And I had, and I had no idea how important that was. So my, those were like ideas that Penny and Jane were bringing to the table with their experience. Um, and, and so then after that screening, we figured out, we obviously knew that we needed to get it to 90 minutes. So then we were able to kind of figure out, pa painfully figure out what, as you call in filmmaking, killing your darling. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, yeah. So we figured out, we figured out how to do it. It was not fun. It was pretty painful. And so we, we narrowed it down to 90, 90, you know, eight minutes. And during that process, we're about two weeks from locking picture and Bethany's family, who at this point had sent 400 plus hours of archives. Wow. They sent another, they, they found another box up in the attic in the corner with 60 more hours of archives. Man. And so by the time I got that 60 hours, I had 20, my, me and my two editors had 24 hours to look at all 60 hours. And then, and then, and then one day to basically figure out, figure out and execute putting it in the film before we're picture locking. Oh my gosh. And two really important scenes were found in that footage. So there's a scene where we we have Mike Coots talking about the experience of being in the hospital with Bethany. Right. Well, right. instead yeah. of instead of instead of it being you know talking heads, we actually had the verite moment. We found that moment. Oh. So we just pulled that out of the film, replaced it with the verite, and the film got exponentially better for that moment. And then there's a shot where Bethany and Alana are being interviewed by Bethany's mom. Yes. And yes. and Bethany's mom Bethany's mom says, Well, what do you do if, if you see a shark? Yeah. And Bethany says, Just pray. Oh, well, that no, little no. moment that that moment was found there as well. So, you know, the this this filmmaking process is not a straight line. Yeah. You know, it's as you know, any advice to another filmmaker is that like it's very zigzaggy and, and kind of dirty and you just have to be willing to kind of grind it out to find the story and make it the most, you know, authentic and powerful and real as you can. Yeah. And be open to the fluidity of what change can provide as you're going through it. And that's exactly what I kind of felt was happening 
And you know, you mentioned those those scenes of uh, of the girls being interviewed, and I, you know, I loved it. They're sitting around with Harry Potter glasses, you know, <laughs> on their face, and yeah. they're just they're just reading surfing magazines and just kind of hanging out, talking to their mom, and, or or talking to you know, it was, yeah. I mean that that gave this whole extra layer of um, of just real and genuineness to it to be able to have these old old uh, tapes and. You guys did an amazing job, and, and I, I do think you're right about showing it to an audience to get that feedback before you before you lock it because there's so many things that you're married to as a creator when you're putting these things together. It's hard to let go. You know, it's hard to let go, but, but having that other perspective and those other eyes, sometimes it, it, it really, I think, opens you up to going, wow, okay, I didn't look at it that way or I didn't think about that. And it seems like you found that as well with, uh, with you know, with showing this to the audience early on. Yeah, it, I mean, it's 100% correct. I mean, you, you think something's working a certain way, but it may not be. And the only way to find out is to show it to an audience. And, and then you listen. And, you know, in an audience of, say, 60 people, everyone has a different opinion. Right. But what you, you, look, you look for consistency of opinion, right? So if everybody tells you X, Y, and Z, you really quickly actually see there is repetition in what wasn't working and what was, and then you can go back and fix it. And then, and then what we, we, we would fix it. And then we would kind of follow up with those people and see if those changes were still true to the story and true, still true to what we wanted to do. But if like the slight adjustments actually solve whatever that missing link was for them. And that process is vital to, to make a, make a story work. Now, now for this project, what do you feel was the biggest uh, difference from working on previous documentaries? Is it just the scope of it or was, was there something else that kind of rose to the top that felt different about this process? Yeah. So my goal with this film was to do everything, take everything to a level that I've never done before and make myself feel as uncomfortable as I possibly can. <laughs> and did you, and you succeed, did, right? Yeah. So I raised more money for this film than I ever thought was possible. Yeah. Um, I had I had the goal of getting some cinematography done that had never been done before. And I don't know if you remember the the last helicopter shot, but yes. that yes. my my friend Mike Mike Prickett and the helicopter pilot Don Shear, I pitched them that idea the night before, and crazy crazy enough we you know they were able to execute and they got it and like i said it's never been done before and the owner of red said it was the best single shot he's ever seen yeah um but then scale and then scaling forward i or even beyond that like i was able to bring dolby digital in to come mix the film in atmos wow and then and so that took the you know they got one of the gentlemen who worked on it the film he came off of before mine was black panther so he did sound design on and, and the sound mixer had done the first project, the sound mixer and sound designer had worked on together was fight club. Wow. So <laughs> yeah, if you guys, yeah. if you look at these guys, IMDB pages, yes. it's totally next level. So to get to work with Dolby up at their headquarters and be four stories underground working in a million dollar mixing bay, you know, to take this film to the next level, it just, that was so, it was not only so fun, but you know, again, it was that comfortability of like, I've never done that before, but yeah. it was the best experience. And then also original score. So we did original 90 minute score. Chris Bowers was the guy who did it. it was and wonderful. he was the gentleman. Yeah. He was the gentleman that also scored green book. Yeah. So he was actually flying to Atlanta because his hands are the hand playing the piano in green book. 
So he was flying to Atlanta to shoot Green Book and then flying back and doing composing for that film and my film all at the same time. So it was really, I was really trying to rub elbows with the best and brightest and talented uh, filmmakers in every aspect of filmmaking, whether it was editing, scoring, sound design, color correction, just all these things really like taking the film and, and giving it that extra love that makes a difference. Yeah, and it did. I mean, the puzzle pieces really fit. I mean, you talked about the cinematography. And, man, some of the underwater shots were just were breathtaking. And then that, those, those helicopter shots you were talking about, I was going to ask, were, you know, were those drones or what were they? And, man, um, yeah, some of those overhead shots just just were, were you know, kind of this, you, you drop your mouth looking at them. Uh, incredible, incredible work, man. Really, 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 really well done. Really well done. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so I was kind of the backbone shooting everything, but then for certain key moments where I knew I could do more, I would bring in additional cinematographers. So on one trip I brought, uh, you know, I, I hired a local drone operator to get some drone shots. Um, on a couple of trips, like I brought my friend Noah Lani, and he would shoot in the water or I would shoot in the water. We would kind of take turns. And then like in Tahiti, I brought this amazing cinematographer. His name's Larry Haynes. And he shot all this amazing underwater stuff. Um, so I would shoot underwater or like for certain aspects of the underwater where I felt like there were people with a better skill set than me, I would hire them because why, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be good at everything, right? Right, right. So right. I, know, I, I, know my, I know my limits and I go, okay, like for certain water stuff, I'm good at this. I'm going to do that part. But there's other water cinematography that I have friends that are better than me. So I made sure to bring them in to execute those visions that I had. Um, and then when we scale all the way up to Jaws, I had a full team. So I shot on the boat. Larry Haynes was on a jet ski. My friend Elliot LeBeau was on the, the cliff side. And uh, Mike Prickett was in the helicopter. So, and then a couple of our friends actually happened to be there shooting as well. So I ended up having eight, eight red cameras all shooting from eight different angles. Wow. So when we, were able to put, when we were able to put that scene together, you know, we can sl- we could cherry pick the best, best, best moments yeah. and really curate and really curate a scene that looks like Point Break, right? Like yeah. it looks like any major any major motion picture. But I did it on a shoestring budget because these are friends and relationships I built yeah. and people that also that also believe in Bethany's story and being a part of the journey. Yeah, I think that's in in that really to me that shines uh, when you have people who believe in the project. And you can find a way to get them involved. Uh, it shows, and it definitely showed in this as well. I could tell there was a, a deep love for what you were presenting in Unstoppable, the story of, of Bethany Hamilton. You know, beyond what uh, most people have seen. And I mean, you've got footage that that nobody outside of her family, you know, has seen before. And you've been able to present that in just an amazing way. And you 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 did part of this through a Kickstarter campaign and. Talk about the impact of the Kickstarter campaign on, on what that's doing for filmmakers and what that's done for you. Yeah, well, the film, I mean, 100% the film would not have gotten to this point without their support. We had 1,800 uh, gracious people that helped donate to wow. the film and a few celebrities that I won't name because they don't want to be named kind of donated some money outside of Kickstarter after seeing it, which is pretty amazing. And yeah, so, you know, look, as a filmmaker and working for some other big companies, I'm very aware of big studios and big executives forcing you to change the story right. or to, to focus on things that they feel are more, let's say, salacious and that will cause more attention. 
And so I really wanted to make sure, because Bethany's story has been told so much, I wanted to make sure to protect her story and give this documentary and give her the opportunity to share her story from her perspective. And, I, and you know, she, Bethany was a, a part of the, not only the filmmaking, obviously, like, because she was being filmed, I was there, <laughs> but the editing process. So I would send her rough cuts of the film all the way through and she would give me feedback on what she, on what on what was what she was liking and not liking and what was true to her and what wow. wasn't true to her. So part of what you see in that whole film is that Bethany like she's actually not physically editing the film but mentally and she's giving her time to yeah. make sure that the editing was curated in a way that was totally who she is, right? So there's that 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 next layer of having access to her and having her willingness to participate in the process at a level that like a lot of documentaries might not get. So I think it was really, really key to, to finding those extra layers and, and, and making sure that she was involved and that the story was done in a way that would, that Kickstarter the supporters would have be possible. And, and then by the time I got to the big studios, pictures locked, they can't change it. Right. So that was, that was, that was the strategy and plan. And it's so cool to see so many other documentaries and films kind of going that route and I think for audiences as well, because as you can see, there's a lot of big films coming out that flop because the studio gets it wrong. Right. And there's so many, there's, you know, so I think it's a great way, proof of concept that there is an audience for your story before you even start. Or maybe you start it and you can kind of share a teaser of what it could be and you can find your audience. So I, I think it's a great way to, and, and then how fun as like fans of filmmakers or fans of Bethany or any other project, your name's on screen and you really like all the people that supported Kickstarter, they can then now say they, su they supported a film yep. that, that went national yes. across the United States in theaters. Yeah. Like how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And you had, I think uh, over 200 theaters uh, opening weekend uh, when it debuted uh, across theaters in, in the country. I mean, that's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty yes. amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let me ask you just, you know, one final question. If there's one thing you would love for people to know about Bethany that's kind of beyond the headlines, what is that? And, and why do you think that matters? Oh, man, that's a hard, that's a hard <laughs> question. But, yeah, I'll, I'll try to tackle that. That's a good one. I, I think, like, I think, I think the biggest thing in overall in this whole film is that, like, the world, whether it's media or like your local influences or whatever, um, try to put you in a box at some level, right? So they, everyone perceives you as you're a dad or you're a soccer player or for Bethany, you're the shark attack girl. You're, you know, this victim, right? And I think one of the biggest things is that this, Bethany has through this film and through her life is challenging people's idea of perception and adaptation. And that, you know, through a lot of hard work and her passion, you can overcome. Right. And so really hoping to encourage people to be unstoppable in their own lives and realize that your identity is going to change through life and you're going to be faced with struggles and obstacles. Yeah. Through her, through her faith in God and through her love for surfing, she's found that she can choose to overcome fear rather than succumb to fear. Like people, so many critics online, I've read a few kind of negative reviews wanting like this darker side of Bethany, but they, what they don't understand is that really it just doesn't exist. Right. She lost her arm. A few weeks later, she was back surfing and on Oprah. And like, she just 
very quickly moved on because she she felt like you know what i am not going to let this stop me and and i don't want this to be the reason for not trying she says that in the film you know and so i just feel like that's a very powerful statement and a very powerful concept like you know i think a lot of times when we all are faced with adversity we can get stuck looking at the gray and questioning things like the gray area of well this could have happened or i could do this or eh you know like the or you can look at it black and white you either succumb to the fear or you overcome and and not and not to make it not to make it seem that simple but it really kind of is you have to look at something as black or white make the decision to move forward even if it's just a baby step you know and so for her that her baby step was grabbing a board and just paddling out and you know riding some white water and figuring yeah, it out yeah, yeah. And, you know and i think and i think that transcends to like whether it's a mental disorder or like or not disorder but you know mental issue that you're dealing with or a physical issue you can you can overcome and and then you also see that bethany sought help her dad helps her with the handle right uh, mike Co- mike encouraged her in the hospital and ipo as a coach encouraged her to get out there and compete like there's all these different people that kind of came and supported her so from that perspective i also feel like it's important for people to realize that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be vulnerable and and then also conversely like if somebody else is struggling be willing to be a resource for them so you know at the end of the day we're all a community we all need each other in order for all of us to kind of be unstoppable in our own journey absolutely uh we are on the phone with uh, an amazing director um Aaron, uh, really appreciate you, uh, Aaron Lieber, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with us about Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, uh, the uh, incredible documentary uh, on the life, and really beyond the life of Bethany and the impact she uh, continues to have uh, on so many people. Uh, What's the best way for people to find out information about you if they want to check out some of your other work? Yeah, so my website's LieberFilms.com, my Instagram, LieberFilms. So just look up, if you just Google Lieber, LieberFilms, L-I-E-B-E-R Films, and um, also check out UnstoppableTheFilm.com or Fandango to find a theater near you. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts, final comments you want to share before we wrap things up, Aaron? Oh, no, I think I'm good. I feel like that was great. Awesome. Aaron, uh, thanks again for your time. Really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you being our guest right here on cinema scene and for those listening uh thanks you can always send your uh, your questions your comments and your ideas to us uh, info at wgwg.org till next time for cinema scene i'm noel t manning the second and that is a wrap